Welcome, welcome this beautiful Sunday that you made the effort to get here and to sit together. Every now and then, <clears throat> Taishin will ask me, actually half ask and half tell me, uh, <laughs> um, what we're doing here, Mado, is important. And I usually say, yeah, it's important. Because we are so deeply interconnected with all things and all beings, connected deeply with everyone in Israel, everyone in the Gaza, everyone in Ukraine, everyone in Russia, everyone across the continent, into the Milky Way, where the bugs, the worms, the trees, we're interconnected, deeply interconnected. And so what we do here is important. And what we do here together is important. We can sit on our own, independently, in our living rooms, in our studies alone, we can sit alone, and that has effect. But when we come together, when we show up as a sangha, there's a synergy. And so what we might do independently in our homes, what we do together is incredibly powerful. And I always remember the quote from Milton's poem, they also serve who only stand and wait. They also serve who only stand and wait. We serve all beings by coming together, practicing peace together. It's not inconsequential at all. We come together and we hold this space for a certain way of being in the world and being with each other that is in, has incredible effect, even though we, we think it's passive, that we're not doing anything. We are doing very important work together. So thank you for showing up, bringing this place alive, and for your practice. Thank you so much. But today I want to talk about weeds. We have been <clears throat> reciting the grassroot roof hermitage. And I want to focus on the couple of sentences which read, when it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in covered by weeds. Now there are many interpretations for this poem. And, and that's one of the beauties of poetry. But I want to come at it um, not as a literal uh, uh, poem, uh, but as a metaphor for our lives. We are regularly building our huts. 
our structures, our, the world that we want to live in. And we're constantly building new huts for ourselves, ways in which we want to live according to our specs, our, our specifications. I want my hut to look like this. I want my life to look like this. I'm not particularly happy with the way my life has been. I can see lots of ways in which it can be rebuilt. And we regularly do that. Like, you have a new mantra. <laughs> Don't just do something, sit there. So that's a, <laughs> that's a basis for building a new hut, you know, a new way of being in the world. And so we're always... You know, New Year's is, is always the, the time that we rebuild, you know, or milestones, my birthday. For me, it's every Monday. Every Monday, I'm, I'm going to change my life. <laughs> you know? And then, well, maybe next Monday. Um, so, so we know that there are times when, okay, I'm clearing all this debris away, um, clearing the ground and now I'm going to build another hut. I'm going to build another, another place to live in. If it's not even, you know, it's not completely new, but it's certainly better than the last, the last one that I've been living in. But what do we find, according to this poet? We find as soon as we think we have cleared up our lives and built something new, and better according to our speculations and our specifications, fresh weeds appear right away. You know? I know that um, we built this zendo or the, the, the main house, and as soon as it was finished, it was, oh, the closet's in the wrong space, the closet's in the wrong place. A weed appeared, right? The bathroom is too, too, too distant from, it's not in the right place. Um, so as soon as we finish clearing things away and building something new, something that is not welcome or something difficult uh, appears right away. Fresh weeds. There's a wonderful, well, it's a very powerful short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Birthmark. really recommend reading it. And it's the story of a man, a physician, who marries this absolutely stunningly beautiful woman. And as soon as the wedding is over, he notices a birthmark on her cheek. The short story is called The Birthmark. And he becomes absolutely obsessed. It's like a weed has appeared on her face. And instead of having this beautiful, beautiful, stunning, beautiful woman, he focuses on, oh, this weed has appeared. She has a birthmark. It's actually birthmark in the shape of a hand, which makes him even more disturbed for some reason. 
And he, he doesn't relent until she agrees to have that birthmark disappear. He wants the specific, he wants his garden exactly the way he wants it, with no weeds, nothing that he finds unwelcome. <clears throat> and so he whips up what turns out to be a poison that will dissolve the birthmark. And yes, it does dissolve the birthmark, but it also dissolves her life. So without that mark, she is no longer herself. And so he loses her as well as this. The, the whole garden is destroyed. So a weed, we understand, if we understand rightly, is a plant that we don't want. <laughs> or we think about it as a plant out of place. And I know that I have to confess that in the spring, when I look out at Endless Circle and I see all the dandelions sprouting up and there's this all the yellow thing and I just... <clears throat> I know, I know. We'll get to the wonders of the dandelion. <laughs> I know. But I, I can feel in myself this, this resistance. Ooh, they're here again. <laughs> know. And not only are these dandelions here again, but they're more, they're more, more than they ever were. They're multiplying. <laughs> so when... When a weed first appears, like he, he says, fresh weeds appear, it's relatively easy after you've just built the house, you know, you've just cleared, cleared up your life, and suddenly you know, there's something that appears. It's res relatively easy to get rid of it, you know, uproot it. For example, the cell phone appeared in my life. Uh, I never had one before. And I could, just as it appeared, I could, rele I could relegate it to certain places and times in my life. Only, you know, sitting on the counter and only for emergencies. It was relatively easy to manage that. Now, the cell phone is by my bedside. How did that happen? You know, it was relatively... And now, of course, I just ordered a new iPad. You're, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so these, these, these things out of place, um, who knows? I you know, ordered it just to take notes. That's, that was its place. But, but now Daigon tells me all the wonderful things it can do. So maybe this becomes a weed that begins to spread, to begins to spread, that was easily set aside to its proper place, but then it begins to, like, a, like dandelions, it begins to spread and begins to choke out other things in my life that I, like the flowers in my life that I want to cultivate. 
So it is, it not, it, weeds are ex, extremely strong. They're, they're, they're resilient. I talk about the dandelion. The dandelion is incredibly resilient. It's also very deep-rooted, like the burdock, for example. It's really hard to get that thing out. Um, so once it establishes itself in your life, it's, it multiplies easily. It's resilient. It doesn't need a lot of nourishment. And it's deep-rooted. So it's hard to get rid of it. So in our practice, we could also say this, this problem with weeds in our lives. The weeds that may at first be easy to uproot, but then because they're so resilient and, and powerful and invasive, they begin to spread and choke out other things. We, and we have a problem with that. We call that in Buddhism, dukkha. Now, usually we, we use the word dukkha to mean suffering. But its original meaning, the, the prefix du, means bad or difficult. And ha means actually whole, a whole or an emptiness. And originally in Buddha's time, it meant a poor fitting hole in a wheel, in an axle, in a hole in an axle, in a chariot or cart. So dukkha was really a, 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 the hole in a wheel that didn't fit well. It was ill-fitting. It was not stable. It was not well-placed. And so when you were riding in that cart or chariot, it would be a very bumpy ride. And so if we take that metaphor and say that in our lives, dukkha is a life in which things don't fit well. Things don't fit well. Things are unbalanced. Uh, they, so it's not like this suffering of hand-wringing and crying. It's just this sense of things aren't well-placed. I, there's something wrong with this wheel. There's something wrong with this life. It's not a smooth ride. My life is not a smooth ride. There's, it's bumpy. It's a bad fit. So some people, you know, in, in order to avoid this, to use the metaphor, they don't they build houses with no gardens at all. Or they will use artificial grass. So no weeds or concrete all around the house. That's a real effort to not to let anything that you can't control 
into your life. So no weeds. Avoid, avoid the natural world at all costs because you can control the, the human world, presumably. So as these weeds, as these weeds in our lives, and who knows what they could be, for example, they could be external things like technology, which mm, before you know it, you can't leave the house without your cell phone. It's, it invades every, it, it just, every, it's everywhere. Or junk mail, it's just like, it's everywhere, it's dominating. Or little petty obligations that you have that just take up all kinds of time, which you, you know, just, just seem to spread and, and, and multiply to the point where we hear people say, I'm just too busy, including me. I just, too many little things, all these weeds popping up. So they can be all kinds of things in your life that just are constantly popping up and taking over, choking out the things like sitting that are, are things that you want to cultivate but no, no, I have, to, I have to call this person or I have, to, I have to answer this email or I have to answer all these emails. Uh, and they just, just choke out the things that you actually value. And eventually, oh, you can also have um, not worldly weeds, but you can also have mental or emotional weeds. And we call those the poisons, the three poisons. Attachment, resistance, aversion, and denial, ignorance. <clears throat> constant judging, constant comparing. So before you know it, you're judging all the time. You're evaluating all the time. This little weed of judgment has popped up, and before you know it, that's your judging constantly. <clears throat> so those are internal weeds that sometimes we try to control those with a practice called mind control, which a lot of people think that's what Zen is, and it is not. It's not trying to... <laughs> it would be lovely if we had a spray A roundup, roundup for the mind. So, so all we had to do was spray, like we would spray the weeds with roundup and kill everything. We could just take a spray and <laughs> kill all the, all the mental defilements and obstructions that are popping up. Unfortunately, we don't have that. Oh, no, maybe it'll be invented. Yeah, it'll be invented, right, Brielle? <laughs> so, so this puts us on some level um, at war. I know for a long time I was at war with the squirrels. They are, they're like animal weeds. <laughs> they just don't want to stop eating the bird food. 
And there's, you know, I've tried everything to get rid of them. I can't, you know, I just can't get rid of them. So I, for a long time, I was, I felt as if I was at war with the squirrels. At war with the things that we can't control. And I see the, we, the dandelions. Oh, God, I'm now at war with the dandelions. And then we use that, that actual, we use that language. Um, even with things like things, uh, illnesses, like we say, I'm, I'm at war with drugs, or I'm at war with, with this illness. So we're constantly at war with the things that are not welcome. These, these so-called weeds. So how can we skillfully, how can we emerge from our huts and live in our huts as she too, who wrote this poem, he lives in his hut calmly. He's not at war with the unwelcome things in his life, with the things that are constantly popping up and covering our lives with unwelcome things or things that are just out of place. They're, they just don't belong. Like the cell phone doesn't belong on my pillow. That's not the right place for it. And yet, it seems like the cell phone has grown a root into my pillow. (laughs) It never grew there before, but there it is. And now it's like, I I vow I'm not going to take my cell phone to bed. It spreads. It's, It's spreading. So how can we live calmly in the house that we've built that's covered with weeds? Can we decide that there are some weeds that we simply have to live with and accept that and maybe even appreciate their beauty? We have a new friendship garden out, out there. And I didn't plant this mullen that suddenly appeared there. And mullen is, is powerful. It's got these big hairy leaves and this big stalk with this yellow flower right in the middle of my curated garden. It was almost as if it appeared to challenge me you know, here I am. Deal with me. And I truly was moved to get that thing and just rip it out. <laughs> because I wanted these other very delicate little things <laughs> to grow. But I stood back, knowing I have a Buddhist practice, right? Took a deep breath and thought, How useful, because mullen actually, the leaves of the leaves of mullen can actually warm, if you put them in your socks, they can actually warm your feet. And it makes a great tea too, doesn't it? 
It's a wonderful plant, and it's actually quite beautiful. So we can even see see it when we do walking meditation. And so I looked at it and I said, yes, you can stay. <laughs> you, you, you have a place here. You have a place here. And it's not that you're out of place, but I'm going to give you a place. And welcome, welcome, Mullen. And let's, let's see how you thrive. And I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will multiply. So we'll see. <clears throat> There are other weeds, and I, I think it's called Japanese packing grass, that are just smothering everything. And some of us have been trying to reduce the impact of those. So that's a, that's a weed which I'm, I'm, I'm practicing <laughs> pulling that weed without aversion, which is, is, would be a big step for me. Can we pull the weeds out of our lives without hating them, without feeling, I'm going to get you out of but just kind of, no, you don't belong here. <laughs> you don't belong here. And maybe I'll put you far out into the forest where you can find a better place. So just being able to do that without this feeling of, ooh, I don't like that, I don't want that. But maybe this isn't the best place for you. Maybe I can relocate you to a, a different area. So that would, that would be another possibility. There is a, um, another term, which is, you could say, the opposite of dukkha, which is things are not fitting. They're, they're not in the right place. My life is bumpy. It's not that I'm screaming with pain. It's just that things just don't, it's not, my life isn't going smoothly. The ride is bumpy. So, sukha, su, means good, well-placed, a well-placed, a well-fitting axle hole, so that when it's well-placed, the ride is smooth. So you make adjustments, like kind of um, focusing a camera, you're adjusting the aperture, the hole, <laughs> to get it focused so that it's, it's well-focused, it's well-placed. And so this is, this is our practice, to practice sukha, which is happiness, smooth ride, a, a life which is a smoother ride, which sometimes we use the word equanimity. That life, it's not like I'm in bliss, you know, like I'm, fireworks are going off, I'm so happy. But life is, like Michael once said, things are going well. My life is going smoothly. And I'm able to adjust. You know, as a weed appears, 
I examined. Do you have a place here? <laughs> or do you need to be relocated? <laughs> or do you actually need to be pulled? <laughs> and our practice is help, helping us to determine that and to do that in the right spirit, not with aversion, not with war, but with clarity and compassion and kind-heartedness. You know, you, you don't belong here, not get the hell out of here. I hate you, but you know, maybe, maybe there's a better place for you. Even in my life, you're not sitting in the, in the driver's seat with me. You're in the back seat. Maybe that's a better place for you. Way back. <laughs> like outside of the car somewhere. I want to I end with a, a story that illustrates this possibility. Um, this is a story that Carl Jung um, instructed everyone who he taught and everyone he worked with, whenever they get the chance, they should tell this story. Because he believed that this story illustrated how one should live a fully realized human life. And so whenever I get the chance, in response to Carl Jung's admonition, and I respect Carl Jung deeply, I'm going to tell the story. And the story is called The Rainmaker. Anybody hear of it before? Okay. So this is a story that was related to him, to uh, Carl Jung, by a very good friend of his named Richard Wilhelm. And he, Wilhelm, uh, was the tr one of the translators of the I Ching Chinese. <clears throat> he lived in China. And this was a, a, an experience the, that he had while he was living in China. He visited this, visited this village, this uh, remote village in China, and he discovered that the village was experiencing a drought. In fact, the village had received no rain over five years. The situation was very serious, and the villagers were doing everything they could the shamans lay naked in the sun to call the rain spirits. Exorcists in fine robes set off firecrackers to drive away malevolent spirits. And the locals, the Catholics, processed their idols through the village incessantly. Nothing worked. No rain. So the village elders got together and had a meeting, and they decided, well, we have no other recourse. We better call. We better find a rainmaker. So they put a message in a train, headed up into the mountains. Three days later, the train returned, and a little man stepped out 
someone's little old man with a long beard. The elders clustered around and welcomed him. Lots of firecrackers went off, and all the money they had was given to him. <clears throat> the last reserves of their food and most, most probably their daughters were offered to him as well. What did the little, man's, little old man say? He said, just make me a little hut at the edge of the village. Put my rice in front of the door three times a day. Is that all? The elders said, yes, that's all. The hut was quickly built. The little man entered it and closed the door. The rice disappeared regularly. Nothing happened. Three days later, it started to rain. Then it snowed. Then it hailed. Five years worth of precipitation came down in the space of about 48 hours. When the skies cleared, the villagers were wild with joy, singing and celebrating. The little man emerged from the hut and headed for the train station. But unlike the villagers, Wilhelm, Richard Wilhelm, was watching him. He went up to the little man on the station platform, and after a very courteous bow, asked him, honored sir, that was amazing. You made it rain. What did you do? And the little man said, nobody can make it rain. But the rain came. Really, what did you do? You know, the little man replied, it's very simple. Where I live, up in the mountain, we live in harmony with nature. When we need sun, sun comes. When we need rain, rain comes. But these people here in this village, they're crazy. <laughs> totally out of sync with the natural world. When I come here, I get crazy, just like them. So I go into the hut, put myself back in harmony, and of course the rain comes. I didn't do it, it just happened interconnectedness. Just when we get straight, when we get balanced, things, things happen as they should. So each time we go into the little hut, burdened by collective insanity, each time we give up our certainties and drives, 
and simply open ourselves to the way of change and let its symbols reshape our hearts, we are that rainmaker. And as we do our inner work, unconcerned about the outcome, especially when we do it together, synergistically, of course, the rain comes. This is our hut. Every Sunday, we build it. We sometimes called it a Buddha field. We build it. We enter it. We turn inward. We get straight. Maybe. We practice it. And of course, the rain will come. Things will be as they are meant to be. Life will go smoothly. So, may all weeds be happy. (laughs) I was going to say all being. Now I think it's weeds. All weeds be happy.